give people, if you would, kind of the, the debrief on what's happening. Yes, thanks, Chris, for having me. So in, on March 11th of this year, Joe Biden signed what's called the American Rescue Plan. A lot of your viewers may remember that was the big $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus to save the economy from COVID. And in that bill, uh, they included um, loan forgiveness to farmers. So if you're a farmer and you have a loan from the Farm Services Administration or the USDA, or a bank that's backed by the USDA, you get that loan forgiven. No questions asked, plus you get 20%. Well, it sounds like a good deal, um, but uh, you don't get it if you're white. It's exclusively for non-white farmers, and we represent uh, five farmers from four states. That number is probably gonna grow. Um, farmers from around Midwest who just wanna be treated equal. The US Constitution, uh, prohibits race discrimination. It prohibits treating people differently based on their on their race. And uh, we're in federal court. to try to uphold that principle. It's incredible that you had lawmakers actually sign off on this because it just sounds so basic. That, look, you can't discriminate on race. I think we've, we've covered that here in our nation many, many times. But um, I do want to ask you if people want to sign on to your suit in a moment. But first, um, I want to share this with you just to get your reaction, because this is USD Secretary Tom Vilsack during his confirmation, his Senate confirmation hearing. I want to share with you what he had to say and just get your response. We need to fully, deeply, and completely address the long-standing inequities, unfairness, and discrimination that has been the history of USDA programs uh, for far too long. I'm hoping that this thing is no longer frozen, but let me know because I want to play some more of these clips for you as to what's going on. So. That was my interview with the attorney that's defending these farmers saying, hey, wait a second, you cannot discriminate against me based on race and now will not allow me the loan forgiveness that was signed on within one of the COVID relief bills. So now I'm going to show you this is Secretary Tom Vilsack. Uh, he was at the White House press conference yesterday. And I want to play some of this for you because he was asked about this lawsuit and watch him defend it. He goes on and defend it. So somebody let me know if you can. Is it still frozen or not? I'm hoping that it's not because some of you are saying that it's ours. So here's uh, Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack at the White House presser yesterday. Uh, Secretary, uh, a group of Midwestern farmers last week sued uh, over the COVID, uh, a COVID loan forgiveness program, arguing that uh, it's unfair to them because they're white. Uh, your reaction to that lawsuit, and it, do, you, do you stand by that the program's uh, structure? It's a great question. I appreciate it. Uh, I think I have to take you back uh, 20, 30 years uh, when we know for a fact uh, that socially disadvantaged producers were discriminated against by the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, we, we know this. 
Uh, we have reimbursed people in the past for those acts of discrimination, but we've never absolutely dealt with the cumulative effect. And by cumulative effect, I mean this. When I have the full advantage of all the USDA programs uh, throughout the last 30 years, my operation could grow. I could invest in more land. I could get the latest and best technology. I could plant my crop at just the right time. I could make more money. If I had limited access or no access to USDA programs, obviously my operation significantly limited. So the American Rescue Plan's effort is to begin addressing the cumulative effect of that discrimination in terms of socially disadvantaged producers. Secondly, when you look at the COVID relief packages that had been passed and distributed by USDA prior to the American Rescue Plan, and you take a look at who disproportionately received the benefits of those COVID payments, it's pretty clear that white farmers did pretty well under that program because of the way it was structured. It's structured on size and structured on production. Uh, so I, I think there is a, a, a very legitimate reason for doing what we are doing. I think it has to be complemented with additional steps, which the American Rescue Plan provides, an equity commission to take a look at whether or not there are systemic barriers that need to be re, uh, removed uh, at the department. And, and also uh, taking a look at how we might be able to create better technical assistance, better access to land, uh, better access to markets for socially disadvantaged producers and for local and regional uh, food production. Uh, so uh, we're going to continue to proceed forward. Um, understand that uh, litigation is going to be what it is, and we'll, walk, uh, we'll obviously have the Department of Justice and others uh, do what they do. And, but in the meantime, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is going to uh, move forward. So just so you understand what he's essentially saying here is that the money that you work really, really hard for, I don't think there's anybody here that is for discrimination based on any skin color. If you are, please go check yourself. Go figure out why you have that sort of belief. But nobody should be discriminating against based on skin color. You know that. I know that. Here's the Secretary of Ag saying, you know what, we're going to move forward. We understand that there's litigation. The Department of Justice is going to do what they're going to do. Essentially, what he's saying there is, hey, guess what? Your hard-earned tax money that you're giving to the swamp, that you're paying into this federal government that is such an abyss right now, they don't care that you are going out there working your tail off to put that money into the system. Now they're going to go use it on a lawsuit to defend what they believe is their right to discriminate against white farmers. Think about that for a moment. Your money is now going to be used at the DOJ for a lawsuit to defend the right to say, yes, we're okay with to discriminate against white farmers. That's where we're at. It's called equity, equity, equity. So I asked Congressman Armstrong about this earlier today. I want to give you a chance. He's an attorney. Obviously, he's our congressperson. I want to share with you um, what he had to say about it in response to those comments there from Secretary Vilsack. So, so Congressman, he's essentially defending uh, his authority to discriminate against white farmers. What say you? Well, first of all, it's worse than that, Chris, because it's not just a loan repayment. It's 120 percent of the loan repayment. And it, it true. I mean, you ha we have to acknowledge that particularly from US, historically, some of these USD pro programs in, in the Deep South and 
unfortunately, not as far back as we would like, actually did have some significant problems. And there's actually, I can't remember the name of the case, but a case on that. But the reality of this is, and I'm scared, we're doing equity hearings in climate, we're doing equity hearings in agriculture, we're, and we there is no government program that should ever be run, by the way, and I think they're, good, they're gonna have pretty good merits on their lawsuit, because you cannot cure what you deem racial, racial inequities with different racial inequities, and it doesn't matter how that works. And we continue to go down this road, and I, I just, I get very concerned with the word equity, particularly how we use it in the political spectrum, because it just continues to move forward and move forward. And it's, it's equity, I, equity is the least form in, in the legal uh, preferred way in which we settle cases. We like monetary damages. We like that. They want to set up a, they want to set up a commission and look at historical disadvantages that happen and find out if there's policy reasons moving forward where we can do that. That's one thing. But to allow only certain groups of farmers by made by the color of your skin to get 120% loan repayment and have no other groups of farmers to even be able to qualify for that is just simply bad policy. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with Congressman Armstrong on that one? I think, I think that one's pretty basic for you and I to know. This is why it's important that you and I, we, we need to be the happy warriors right now. Reach out to your Congress people, make the phone calls and tell them, look, this is wrong. Nobody should be discriminated against based on their skin color. So please pick up the phone, go to your email, contact these people and say enough is enough. Do the right thing. Contact the USDA if you need to. But Secretary Vilsack, he knows better. I mean, he knows that this is not right. He said a long time ago in, in his confirmation hearing that we're going to try to make things more, quote unquote, equitable. But do two wrong forms of discrimination make a right? Any kind of discrimination is wrong. So now we're going to do it against somebody else and do two wrongs make a right? The answer to that is no. You and I both know that. All right. I want to share with you, uh, kind of take the veil back a little bit and talk about the persuasion of politics. I don't know about you, but everybody I talk to right now is, is going, why, why are they pushing the vaccine so hard? Like, what is going on? Like, I get that we want to keep everybody healthy. But look, if I've got COVID in the past, which I haven't, but if I had, I've got the COVID antibodies and you've got the vaccine, that's what you get the vaccine for is to protect yourself. So why are they pushing it so hard so often? Minnesota Governor Tim Walls was pushing it hard again today. But I want to kind of peel the, the onion back a little bit. And I put up social proof persuasion here. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but there's an incredible book out there. It's called Influence. It's written by Robert Cialdini, Dr. Robert Cialdini. And there's basically six or seven principles in this book that are completely unconscious influence tools. Meaning that when you understand these influence tools, even if you know, even if you know that someone's using these tools on you, your brain is wired in such a way that it automatically goes, oh, okay, I'm going to be influenced by that. It's an unbelievably powerful book. The strategies, unbelievably powerful, and social proof is one of those things. I'm going to share with you what social proof is here and then give you some context to understand how it's being used. I don't want to say against you, but how it's being used to impact you in your decision-making process around the vaccine and many other things. So social proof persuasion, essentially when they start to get in, bring in people that you know, friends, family, things of that nature, people that you trust, people that you trust. 
they're using the trust that you have for somebody to influence you to make decisions that maybe you're more reticent to. So I'm going to give you a prime example here with Joe Biden. One of the things he shared the other day in the press conference regarding having people get vaccinated, because I'm sure you've seen the data as of late where the level of vaccination rates are declining right now in the United States of America. There's many people that are much more reticent now than they were. And so the government's concerned about that. So they're looking at different strategies. One of them we've talked about is bribes, right? They're now trying to bribe you to go get the vaccine. But there's other tools. And I'm going to walk you through the social proof persuasion one that is being uh, used by a lot of politicians. But this is one example of Joe Biden doing it. And then I'm going to walk you through after you see this. Then I'm going to share with you a video of Dr. Robert Cialdini explaining how powerful social proof persuasion is. And again, it's oftentimes completely unconscious. So here's President Biden. This was two days ago. And listen closely to what he has to say. I've gotten the vaccine. Talk to someone you trust, like your physician or your pharmacist, or people have already been vaccinated. Talk to your faith leaders or others in your community that you trust. Look to those people to help answer your questions. I want to be clear. I've been saying this a long time, but I really believe this is. Did you notice what he said there? Look to the people you trust. Talk to your pharmacist. Talk to your doctor. Talk to your faith leaders. Talk to your faith leaders, people that you trust. Now, why is that so important? Because it's a very, very powerful, really unconscious persuasion tool. I mean, these are people that you trust. You don't think they're going to try and, quote, unquote, persuade you. I'm going to go to one more clip here before I go to Dr. Robert Cialdini. So give me a moment to line this up with President Biden. I think it's around the 20-minute mark or so. But he goes again. He was asked about, hey, what are you going to do to, to try to impact the reticence regarding this vaccination? Here's some of what he had to say. Continue to, I don't think, we're going to continue to try to bring in an effectively spokespersons who represent communities that, in fact, people listen to. And it's going to get more granular, I think. Woo! Listen. The likelihood of us being able to get, uh, you know, 100,000 vaccinations in a week at a major site is getting harder and harder. There's, there's a, those people desperately wanting to get the vaccine. So they're going to reach into communities and find people that they know that people listen to, and they're going to get much more granular, meaning more specific in how they're going to utilize this persuasion tool to influence you if you're reticent about getting the vaccine to go out and get the vaccine. Pay attention now, because now this is Dr. Robert Cialdini. He's the author of the book uh, Influence. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. But listen to, he actually uses, it's, it's incredible, I just found this, he actually uses an example of the British government and what they did to persuade people via social proof persuasion. And he is president of the company Influence at Work. It's so good to see you again, Bob. It's great to be with you again, JJ, and, and your viewers. Uh, so, okay, so much of what you say has or writ, wrote in your book influenced the way I talk to people. And so I want to start today by talking about what you call social proof. Can you define that for us? Social proof is a principle of persuasion. It says that people want to follow the lead of those individuals around them, like them. 
So in any given situation, we'll look to see what the people around us, like us, are doing and follow suit. So it's so interesting because so many companies feel like they need a celebrity to endorse them. But if you if you base your ideas on social proof, really, I need my best friend to tell me something. Exactly. Peers are powerful. And as a consequence, uh, people will be moved in a particular direction by simple evidence of what others like them are doing in that situation. Got it. So There's a great example. Uh, so not even, it doesn't even have to be my best friend, it's somebody who is like me. So tell me, you're about to go into the example, but I, I want to prompt you on one because it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. The British tax study. I love this study. My co-author, Steve Martin in UK, uh, was instrumental in this study. The, uh, the British government was having trouble uh, getting people uh, who were delinquent in paying their taxes to submit the uh, tax amount on time. And they typically sent a, a letter threatening them with certain kinds of sanctions if they didn't. That produced about a 67% uh, compliance in the time allotted. Steve asked them to add one small sentence to the letter. Remember granular. Said, the great majority of British citizens do pay their taxes on time. And compliance went from 67% to 73%. Wow. Immediately. It's so funny. Remember granular. And, and then, here's, oh, go ahead. Here's the thing that applies to your point about those like us. They did a subsequent letter. Instead of saying the majority of British citizens pay their taxes on time, it said the majority of British citizens in your town paid their taxes on time, and compliance now went to 83%. Granular. You just heard it from President Joe Biden saying we are going to get more granular, more into people's neighborhoods and find people that are people of influence to speak about these vaccines. And you heard right here, this is why they're doing that, because it went from 73 to 83% compliance. I'm doing this so that as you watch these politicians utilize these unconscious influence tools, you have an idea to go, oh, that's what they're doing. Now, like I said, the problem is a lot of the times, even when we know what they're doing, we still fall prey to it. But at least now your eyes are open and you can get a better understanding of some of the communication tools, some of the persuasion strategies that our politicians are using on you pretty much every day. Billions of pounds for the UK government for one small sentence, one small change in their persuasive approach. It's fascinating. So when we think about that in our own business, when we are trying to attract customers to our business, talk about people who are like our potential customers who are using, right? 80% of moms in this neighborhood use this or, or whatever you can come up with. Now, here's what's going to be fantastic for you to note, okay, is watch what I'm going to share with you here. Racker Joe, social proof persuasion is used when a company or government isn't getting what they want. Psychological warfare is exactly what it is. Thank you for the comment. Now, with that being said, think about what I'm talking about here. Social proof persuasion. Hey, you're like me. I'm like you. We do things together, right? Check out what I'm going to share with you right now. This is from... Minnesota Governor Tim Walz's press conference earlier today. And think about this, folks. If you're around people that are like you, they identify as you, 
human beings have a strong need oftentimes to conform, right? You don't want to be an outsider. You don't want to be a black sheep. So what he put up today in his presser, and I'm going to get rid of this piece so you can see exactly what it is, estimated share of adults who would definitely or probably get the vaccine. Now, the more purple the state is, the higher probability that people definitely or probably are going to get the vaccine. Governor Walls knows there's going to be a lot of people watching his press conference. He puts this up. You can see how deeply, how deep purple the state of Minnesota is, showing that there's a very high probability, high idea of people getting the vaccine. And what does that do? Social proof. It's more granular. You're going from the United States down to a state and saying, look, everybody's doing it. I mean, over 90% of the people, you can see by the purple, over 90% of the people are very definitely probably going to get the vaccine. So you should too. You're a Minnesotan. You want to identify as a Minnesotan, don't you? Social proof persuasion, completely unconscious, but it makes you go, whoa, wait a second. You're telling me 97% of Minnesotans actually definitely are probably going to get the vaccine. And I'm sitting over here, over here being reticent. You start to question what's wrong with me. Why am I questioning this? If 90% of my Minnesota buddies are saying, yes, I don't even know if this information is accurate. It says here, Department of Health and Human Services. Who knows where they got that from, right? In fact, I should do an open records request because maybe it's not as truthful or honest as it possibly could be. That is the power of social proof persuasion. Now, the reason I bring a lot of this up is because of this. You are continuing to hear from person after person just how safe, let me get rid of this here, just how safe this vaccine is, right? One of the things that they're not telling you, I'm going to see if I can get this a little bit bigger for you here. Um, okay. I'm on the wrong screen, but I will figure this out. Here we go. Basically get this so you can actually read it very easily. What you need to know, the mRNA vaccine, I've been talking about this as of late. The mRNA vaccine is a brand new vaccine. The mRNA vaccine is the COVID-19 vaccine. And you can see here, mRNA vaccines are a new, new type of vaccine to protect against infectious diseases. Now, why is that important? Because again, this hasn't been fully FDA approved. It could be totally fine. I don't know. We don't know because mRNA vaccines are new. This has not been fully vetted by the FDA. And now there's even people that are talking about, look, we need more longitudinal studies to fully understand the impact of the COVID-19 vaccine, specifically on women and women that want to get pregnant. So Bob says, I know of a company is offering $500 to each employee if they get the vaccine. Do companies get monies for each employee that get the shot? Well, I don't know that specifically. All I do know is that President Joe Biden talked about, hey, if you want to go get the vaccine, you can get up to two weeks paid time off and it's going to be considered like a tax break for the company. So maybe the company's saying, look, if you go get the vaccine, I can get this tax break money and we'll pay you part of whatever that tax break is going to be. I don't know how this particular company is working it out, but very well could be a possibility right there. All right. So let me get back to one other thing I want to share with you, because I think this is really, really important. Um, this is a video. Remember the Moderna? We all know the Moderna vaccine. Beth says this. There are no long term studies of its effect for any age. Thank you. 
The more they push it, the more I want to resist. So sick of them pushing this vaccine. Thank you, Beth. That's, I mean, when, when they're pushing it so hard, you got to start to ask yourself why. If it's really that effective, if it's really that good for me, then great, I'll take it. You don't need to, you don't need to, she says, shove it down my throat to get me to go take the thing. If it's in the best interest of me and my health and my body, that's why I don't know why they're pushing it so hard. I have my own ideas, but I want to share something with you that I think is very, we just talked about the MRNA. This is uh, a gentleman from Moderna. We all know the Moderna vaccine. Let me pull this up for you one second, please. Look at the title of this video I'm about to share with you. Look at the title of the video that I'm about to share with you. Rewriting the genetic code. Boy, that gives you a lot of uh, certainty, doesn't it? Doesn't that make you feel good when you think about, hey, there's something that I'm going to be ingesting that's going to be rewriting my genetic code? Not, not only the, what does that mean for you, what does that mean for your offspring? That's why I just said we need more longitudinal studies for women that want to become or want to get pregnant. So this is from 2017. Uh, this gentleman is, I think, the chief operating officer or chief officer at Moderna talking about mRNA. Now, he's trying to sell it. So, of course, they're going to make it sound amazing. And, ma and maybe it is, right? They're going to frame it in a way that this is a possibility to cure cancer. All I want you to look at is really the biology of the mRNA so you can have a better understanding of what it is that's being put into this vaccine and how it potentially can impact you and your own biology. started my professional life about 30 years ago as a nurse in the pediatric intensive care unit. And I remember this one infant, let's call him Jonathan, who came in really, really ill. Seemed to have a rare genetic defect, but in those days, gene diagnosis was still in its infancy. So we couldn't really figure out what's wrong with him. And in the years since, as I've trained as a physician scientist, we've been living this phenomenal digital and scientific revolution. And I'm here today to tell you that we're actually hacking the software of life and that it's changing the way we think about prevention and treatment of disease. Did you hear that? We're hacking the software of life. Let me just replay this for you, just so you can hear him say it one more time. We are hacking the software of life. And then he's going to get into the conversation about MRNA. Software of life. Digital and scientific revolution. And I'm here today to tell you that we're actually hacking the software of life and that it's changing the way we think about prevention and treatment of disease. So here's all the biology you need to know in 30 seconds. Our body is made out of organs. Our organs are made out of cells. And in every cell, there's this thing called messenger RNA, or mRNA for short, that transmits the critical information from the DNA, our genes, to the protein, which is really the stuff we're all made out of. This is the critical information that determines what a cell will actually do. And so we think of it like an operating system. And it's not just in every cell of our body, it's actually in every cell of every organism alive. It's the same thing. And so if you could actually change that, which we call the software of life, if you could introduce a line of code or change a life code, it turns out that has profound implications for everything from the flu to cancer. 
And I'm going to demonstrate that with three short examples. So they're changing the line of code within your cellular system. Let's start with the flu. So many of us get a vaccine. Uh, what is a vaccine? It is an injection in our arm where we get bits and pieces of the virus, the proteins. And that teaches our immune system to recognize the virus. And so when we get infected, we're not sick. Now, imagine if instead of giving the protein, we would give the instructions on how to make the protein, how the body can make its own vaccine. That's an mRNA vaccine. And here's what it looks like from the cell. So the traditional approach has protein floating around your cells. An mRNA vaccine approach has the cells themselves in your own body making the vaccine. What's more alarming, a stranger prowling the neighborhood or somebody who just broke into your ground floor and tripped the alarm? That's what happens with an mRNA vaccine. You've tripped the alarm wire, and now the cell is dialing 911. It's calling the police at the same time as it's making the protein and saying, that's the bad guy. That's how an mRNA vaccine works. And for the last several years, we've shown this actually works in a whole multitude of animal models. Earlier this year, we published the first actual study in people. And it, it actually works in people. We took a group of volunteers and injected them. With Please hear him, okay? This video was posted in 2017. It's 2021. And he's talking about how this year, 2017, we did our first human test on mRNA vaccines. Now, I know technology goes at a very rapid rate. I understand that. Things can move very, very quickly. And yet, you're talking about human biology that's been around for a very long time. And this has been around now for, what, three years? four years, if we're going to be generous? With a messenger RNA vaccine against a variant of flu, influenza. And all of these volunteers got the immune response we were hoping to see. The side effect profile was pretty benign, what you would see with any normal type vaccine. So we've proven the principle this actually can work. It works in people. And now we're going to be developing a whole um, slew of vaccines against diseases for which we don't have them. So that's infectious disease. Now, for the second example, let's talk for a minute about cancer. So I want to share something else with you. And again, I'm not, I'm just bringing up things for you and I to think about and consider. He talked about how when you take in the mRNA, mRNA, it's no longer the old vaccine. Now they're actually asking them to produce the proteins, right? That's the piece of the mRNA is now, now your body can go, oh, wait, I can actually produce this protein. Remember that, produce this protein. And here's what I want to share with you real quick um, so you can take a look. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest this. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. I'm just bringing up information so that you can critically think about what's going on here and, and essentially do your own homework, right? Don't believe anything I say. Just do your own homework. Prion disease, okay? Prion diseases occur when normal prion proteins found on the surface of many cells becomes abnormal and clump in the brain, causing brain damage. This abnormal accumulation of protein in the brain can cause memory impairment, personality changes, and difficulties with movement. All I'm saying is now you've got a foreign substance put into your body that produces proteins. There are some studies out there that suggest, and I've, I've got them in my email and I have them with me right now, but all I'm going to say is do your homework. All right. I'm not a doctor. I'm not claiming to be a doctor. I'm just sharing with you some information that I think is very important to at least be aware of. And you might have a doctor that says, hey, look, 
I think this mRNA vaccine is amazing. I think it's great for you. And that's your doctor. And so listen to your doctor, right? Um, but also just be aware that there's some other things out there that potentially could have links that might be important for you to at least ask questions about. And your doctor may say, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. So, okay, great. Now, now at least you're asking good questions rather than doing what they're asking us to do is just be stupidly obedient because of social proof persuasion. That's why I've got a problem. I don't mind if you want me to ingest something into my body that has been well vetted, well tested, and we know is going to make a positive impact in my life. But if you're asking me to take something that has not even been fully vetted and it's new, I want to at least have some questions I can ask people to get some answers. That's all. Horrible disease. Cancer has affected the lives of many of us and will affect the lives of many more of us that we use. The problem with cancer at the cellular level is that the DNA is screwed up. You've got these mutations and this screwed up DNA leads up to screwed up information that makes screwed up proteins. And so the cell loses control. Now, how do you figure out what is actually screwed up? Well, you got to figure out the, the whole sequence, right? It took us decades and billions of dollars to sequence the human genome. And we've done that. We achieved that in 2003. And now we're less than 15 years later, and it takes us a week. And we can do it for every patient. So now we can go and figure out what exactly is screwed up in a patient. And we can use that information to make a vaccine. We take that information, say a patient with lung cancer, and we take it, we take the, the biopsy, we figure out the sequence, we figure out their immune system, we, and that all becomes information, it goes up in the cloud into a bioinformatic algorithm, and then automatically makes a vaccine that we administer into their normal tissue, into the muscle, to try and wake up their immune system. Now the challenge, of course, is that every person's cancer is different. Jennifer, thanks for the comments here. Do you have any um, particular trials or data that you can share with us, please, to back up that statement? That would be great. If you've got some things you can share, we would definitely, definitely appreciate it. Um, Bess says the mRNA vaccines are the ones which use fetal tissue, correct? I find that ethically immoral, but who's to say the DNA of the preborn baby doesn't have its own diseases? It's passing along. I have heard that, Beth. Um, I can't 100% say that that's accurate, but I definitely have heard that that's the case. I'm working on bringing on some people to talk more about the MNR, mRNA vaccines and just what does that actually mean. But that's why I want to play this video here for you today, just so you can kind of go, oh, okay. The CDC is telling me that, hey, this is brand new, right? I just shared with that shared that with you a minute ago. They're saying mRNA vaccines are a new new type of vaccine to protect against infectious diseases. Um, and I think it's important that you know that because we continue to be just, hey, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. Get the, get, wh 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 why, are you, why are you pushing me so hard? I don't get it. Why are you holding pressures every day, forcing me to go inject some foreign thing into my body? Thank you, Jennifer. mRNA uses fetal in the development, but not in the production. Okay. So they're using it to develop it, but then when they actually produce the final product, it's not in the final product. Is that essentially what you're saying? Um, everybody, thanks so much for joining me here. I want to play one last clip for you just because I think this is important that we all, I would say really in all the areas of our life right now that we look to ourselves and our God for our personal responsibility. 
what you and I can be doing to give people hope. You know, there's so many people right now, they're scared. They're, they don't know what to do. They don't have great people around them to help them navigate what our nation's going through right now. And so that's why I think it's so important that you and I help each other get educated, empower each other, give each other some hope that, hey, look, we're going to get through this okay together and support each other through this. And so to me, it's important that we look at our health the same way. How can we empower ourselves around our health so that, look, I don't know if taking vitamin D and zinc is going to completely eliminate me from getting COVID, but if it can help my immune system and give me a better better shot in the battle, I'm in. I'm in. So I want to play one more clip for you from Ronald Reagan. I'm going to find it here in a moment. Thank you very much, Jennifer. I appreciate it. More than you know. More than you know for saying that. So if you can share this with family and friends, I would be very, very grateful for that. Um, but this is a clip from Ronald Reagan back in his first inauguration speech. And I saw this a while back, and I just thought, it's just so powerful to hear how he set this up. And I'm hoping I can find it here in my file for you because I think it's that valuable. And here it is. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. The crisis we are facing today does not require of us the kind of sacrifice that Martin Treptow and so many thousands of others were called upon to make. It does require, however, our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves and to believe in our capacity to perform great deeds, to believe that together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. God bless you and thank you. Hard to say much better than President Ronald Reagan, but you can see there where he talks about believing in ourselves, doing it together, and supporting each other. Look, I know, I mean, they, they've purposely separated us, made us feel alone, made us feel like, when is this going to end? And we've given them so much power. Why, why, why should it end? Think about it. You give politicians that much power. Are they ever going to give that up? Absolutely not. How many great leaders do you know that have truly 
led with humility and wisdom. Other than Jesus Christ, I don't know if I can think of one. How many great leaders do we know have we ever experienced in the history of the planet that have led with humility and wisdom? You might want to say Solomon, but then Solomon became a fool, right? So I just think it's important that each of us say, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to support my neighbor, support my family, support my community and get out and just do what's right. Tell the truth and just do what's right. It's that basic. So thank you for joining me here today. Uh, we're going to continue to do these. There won't be a show tomorrow afternoon, but we'll be back at it on Monday. And I would just ask you, please share this with your family and friends. And we're going to continue to educate each other, empower each other. And um, thank you, Jen. So are you. So are you. God bless you all. I love you. And uh, let's keep fighting. Let's keep fighting.